Guess what? I'm moving country again. I don't know. Maybe a year. Maybe more. Where's home? Home's everywhere. I'm an expat. Hello, welcome to a new episode of Meet the Expats. It's Pauline, and today I meet with Diane Seidel, who is an internationally acclaimed scientist. She embarked a few years ago on a retirement adventure in Thailand, and since then has written a whole book about that experience, which is Kindergarten at 60. Hello, Diane. How are you? I'm fine, Pauline. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for joining. I'm very, very excited to hear about your story. As we were chatting just before, I've we haven't really talked about late moves at, at a retirement period. So I think it's interesting to talk about that. that you can move at basically any age, um, but of course, different time of your life. So challenges are going to be different, but you're going to tell us all about this. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you about my experience. I'm not sure if it's typical of other people, but I think there are some lessons that I learned that might be of interest to folks who are considering doing a stint abroad uh, for an extended period of time, whatever that might be. Um, Yeah, so I retired in my late 50s, so relatively early as retirement ages go. And I had, you know, I had energy and interest and I was, had always regretted as, um, as a working person, never having taken any kind of sabbatical abroad, never having um, had that opportunity. I I did study abroad for one year uh, as a graduate student, but but that was a long time ago. (laughs) I did. Yes. Yes. I lived in Belgium for a year and studied fluid dynamics there, but that was when I was in my mid twenties. I'm now in my mid sixties. So that was quite a while ago. So yes, I was a climate scientist, but when I retired, I became a volunteer teacher of English for speakers of other languages. Right. And I do that. I still do that here in Washington, D.C. And I love it. And I thought, oh, in addition, my husband joined me at the same school and he loved it, too. And we thought, whoa, we could do this in another country. We could speak English to people who, um, you know, for whatever reason, want to learn the language. uh, And we could find uh, a lovely country with a temperate climate um, where where learning English would be very meaningful for people, like it is Mm -hmm. for our students here in Washington. These are people who come as immigrants. They need the language to to get get their lives in order. But and that's true abroad as well. English is yeah. global language and, and many people need it for advancing in their careers. So we thought there'd be plenty of opportunities for us to do that. And we went ahead and got certifications uh, right. through Cambridge University's big internationally recognized program that would let us teach abroad. Well, when it came time to look for jobs, we found that uh, it wasn't quite as easy as we thought it might be. Okay. We had experience, we had certifications, we thought, and we were told that we'd be scooped up. Hmm. Had you already like pinpointed countries specifically that you wanted to? Well, yeah, Pauline, we did. We, um, as I sort of alluded to, we, we were 
focusing on the temperate latitude. Yeah. So, so the mid-latitudes <laughs> of the northern and southern hemisphere. And that's because I don't particularly like really hot weather. And uh, neither Steve, my husband, nor I wanted to go to the polar regions. But there are plenty of mid-latitude countries. Yeah. And we thought that that would be great. And so we, we had a list of countries. We our, our list was long. And then it got shorter when we realized that there were... Um, there were work permit issues for, mm. for us and they were okay. kind of of two categories. One was, was the whole EU. Uh, we are not EU citizens. So, so that was not going to work for us. Uh, and then the other thing was, and this was the unexpected part, the EU uh, prohibition was, I kind of thought that would be a problem, but, but the unexpected thing was that many countries, particularly in Asia and Southeast Asia and, and even South America, there were age restrictions um, working. Okay. So, so we, mandatory retirement ages, it seems, in right. some countries meant that uh, to get a work permit in that country would, well, at least without some special um, connections, which we didn't have, uh, seemed that it was prohibitive and that would be really difficult for us to legally work in a lot of countries that were of interest mm. to us. And then there was another issue that came up, uh, and that was some places that looked appealing and programs that looked appealing to us required a pretty long commitment, a uh, two-year commitment, for example, for okay. many of of what I think of as the former Soviet socialist republics, so, so many Eastern European countries that used to be part of the Soviet Union. Those were really interesting to us because partly we have, you know, kind of our family roots go back to that part of the world we thought that would be okay. and I've never been there but um but these long-term commitments were too much my my mother just turned 99 at the time that we went wow. she was 96 but we didn't want to go away for two yeah. years uh with, okay. and leave her back home without seeing her so all of those things combine to Alter make out. us so <laughs> it filtered out a lot and and long story short that's probably a longer story than you needed but we ended up in Thailand um, okay. and we end, and we which as you're well aware is not a temperate climate not um, that much yeah <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's not that far north of the equator and uh we ended up living at 13 degrees north latitude quite deep tropics um and uh and so that was um that was interesting. We managed, it was okay, but, but it was not what we were looking for initially. And, uh, and the other thing is we were not teaching adults by a long shot. We, <laughs> the opportunities were limited and we ended up teaching in a kindergarten. And in Thailand, kids start kindergarten, they can start at age two and a half. So right. I'm not sure how that Very is. Very young. It's quite young, yes. A few of our students were not even fully out of diapers, uh, so uh, yeah. that was that was a, a, a far cry from the the grown up people that we were used to teaching. But yeah. it all worked out. We had a we had a great experience, and uh, and wouldn't have traded it for anything. Okay, well, it sounds like quite a ride indeed between the climate difference that wasn't planned and the age of the students you were suddenly teaching. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to once you actually made the move, what 
were the big culture shocks and what's adaptation did you did you need um yeah so actually we had been to thailand many years before we were actually there briefly on our honeymoon 30 years earlier so we had a little bit of an idea what to expect of course we weren't working and living in the country we were right. tourists it was different uh the and we were we were prepared in the sense that we we ended up working with a a company that found us placements and that company okay. um smoothed smoothed the way a lot they yeah. they um brought us in for a one week orientation before uh before we went off to our teaching assignment and they helped us with uh our paperwork helped us find housing helped us uh, obtain insurance uh, health insurance and also uh, traveling insurance which is, mm -hmm. and so we were not too shocked by anything we we right. felt that we were well prepared um that said though that was a mental preparation we we in our minds yeah. we knew what we were getting into and when we got there of course there was kind of the physical uh, uh, adjustment to to the weather, yes, and to a different kind of living arrangement than we were used to, and, and just the work, the, the work yeah. of teaching little kids <laughs> full-time uh, uh, at, at our age. And, you know, I was at the time 60 years old, and the title of my book is Kindergarten at 60, yeah. uh, and my husband was, was seven years older so uh that that was that was something to get used to <laughs> yeah so how do you I mean I can imagine you don't teach grown-ups the same way that you teach children so how did you shift that and were you accompanied for that or did you just learn in the deep end <laughs> well uh we were pretty lucky actually uh you're completely right uh all the experience we had all the training we had in you know how to teach english for speakers of other languages how to teach grammar how to teach uh, uh reading writing conversation skills listening and speaking it went completely out the oh, window those children were not not able to uh, engage at that level But on the other hand, this was an English immersion kindergarten. So uh, so we didn't really have to teach language lessons. These kids right. were supposed to be surrounded by English for most of their day. Right. They did have a couple of hours per week of Thai lessons from mm -hmm. a Thai teacher and a couple of hours per week of Chinese from Chinese teachers. Oh, wow. Uh, but for the most part, we were teaching them everything in English. The things we were teaching them were not <laughs> language focused, but right. whatever it Age was we were teaching, it was in English. And the other lucky thing was, um, this was an, an English immersion school. It was also a private school uh, and it was newly established. So it was, I think it had been in existence about two and a half years when we arrived. There were already two other teachers there. So we were a team of four teachers the other two were were um one was from the philippines one was from south africa and they knew all the kids already and the day was divided up uh, such, such that we all had different times when we were teaching lessons but having those other two experienced teachers there 
Hmm. made a huge difference. You know, when things got out of control, which they did quite a lot in my classroom, that's for sure. Uh, I, I could, although they, they liked to leave me alone to deal with, you know, to learn how to deal with things. When things got very out of control, they would come in and, and scoop up our messes. So, so, so in a way, uh, you know, that was, wasn't our thought. When we initially signed up for Thailand, we thought, oh, we'd probably be teaching kids in a rural area. Kids, um, you know, maybe the school doesn't have an English teacher. Maybe this is their first exposure to the language. It, it might be a big class, you know, in a public school. Uh, this was a small class, very, very good or very low student-teacher ratio. Few students per okay. teacher. There were 14 students, four teachers. It was yeah. kind of a luxury, a luxury. Yeah, <laughs> it was hard still, but but it could have been a lot, lot harder. <laughs> yeah, you had the good surroundings to help sink yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lots of support. Lots of support. Okay. And what about, so this is on the work part what about adapting to life and social life also arriving in Thailand yeah so that's an interesting question because um although we were not too far from Bangkok we were in a kind of remote area it was um an exurb I would say of Bangkok about an hour okay. and a half drive north and there weren't that many places we were living in a little apartment just across the alleyway from our school so It was a little self-contained community. We were in this little apartment and some of the other teachers at the bigger school, not our kindergarten, but the, the larger school it was a part of, were also living in this apartment. So the, the apartment building and the building uh, mostly housed uh, young single women. These were the teachers at the school were young single women. About half were from Thailand and another half from the Philippines lots of Filipina teachers in Thailand. And uh, and they were mostly, I would say, between 25 and 30. Uh, right. The older teachers in the school tended to find apartments elsewhere, not living so close. So we were living in an apartment building where uh, my husband was the only male. We right. were the only people like over 35 by a generation. And we were also the only Americans. So the social scene was interesting there we we tried to become friendly with these young women women and they were very pleasant you know very gracious but we didn't have a lot in common so it wasn't your classic right. experience where you know you're an expat you seek out your compatriots in in country right. and you have a social life with them there were no compatriots within many miles in fact when we mm got in a taxi cab on the highway and went five kilometers down the road to the shopping center, uh, which had a lot of, you know, big stores. And, and we thought that's where expats might hang out. No, that wasn't the case. We were really the only, uh, it's a word in Thai, it's farang. The word yeah. farang is, means foreigner in Thai. It's not really a derogatory word, but that's what, how they refer to Westerners. We were the only Westerners, the only Farangs in this huge shopping center. So um, our social life was each other. This was the first time after 30 years of marriage that we were spending 24 hours a day together. We were teaching yeah. together in the same classrooms. 
We were um, living in the same apartment. Wherever we went, we went together. together. Uh, and, um, and that was an adjustment. So that was our social life. And I have to say it was really a lovely discovery that it turned out okay. We, we yeah, managed with work. <laughs> and um, ironically, our, our contract at the school ended March 1st of 2020 um, right and you know what happened in march of 2020 the the world went into lockdown because of covid uh and the pandemic so we came home on the 3rd of march and we had a few days to kind of you know reacquaint ourselves with with rain (laughs) and and (laughs) weather and and stock up the refrigerator and then we went into quarantine like everybody uh and in a sense there so there were two very interesting things about that one is we had just lived for five months 24 7 togetherness time me and my husband Mm -hmm. and now we were entering a new period of 24 7 togetherness time in in, yeah uh, uh, required by the pandemic the other thing was all of my normal activities were shut Shut down. down and i had plenty of time to focus on writing the story of our expat adventure in mm-hmm. Thailand. And, and I feel very, very fortunate to have had that project to work on during the first year or two years of the pandemic. It really, I think, helped my, my mental state. It also just kept me physically yeah. safe. I was at my desk writing instead of <laughs> out in the world being exposed to viruses. And so, in a what was the book also a way of coping with the return? I I know. So you had a fixed term contract, so you know you were going back, mm-hmm. and obviously you did readjust to normal life because the pandemic hit. So it was very different. But did you feel a bit of the reverse culture shock? Yes. Yeah. I think as everybody does who lives in one culture and, and then returns, you see your, your home culture, you're, you're in a different light. Yes. And you start to uh, question the things you took for granted and never really mm. thought about before. And um, uh, I would say the big thing for me was, was stuff, stuff and um, cons- consumption. Okay. So we were living in a small apartment with very few belongings. Our kitchen was very minimally equipped. Mm-hmm. Uh, our We couldn't store much food because we had an insect issue that we had to, in, insects we had to keep at bay. So we, we had very minimal food in, in our living space and very little ability to prepare food. Uh, we ate mostly street food. And um, and we ate kindergarten lunches. <laughs> That's a whole other story. But but when we came home to uh, our our house just outside Washington, you know, I was really flabbergasted by the amount of stuff that mm. we had and and that we thought was kind of normal. It, right. It is normal here, but it, it's not necessarily normal in a global sense, and it's not all necessary by by a long shot. So that was a, an awakening. Uh, and and a, and a reckoning. And uh, the other culture shock was um, so t- t- Thai culture is is a collectivist culture. 
U.S. culture is more of an individualist culture. Mm-hmm. And in Thailand, um, people go to great lengths to avoid confrontation, to avoid um, upsetting other people in any way. To it, it, It's very much a place where an even keel is a, a cool head. A, yeah is something to strive for. And we we went during a period where um, this country, the United States, is in a lot of turmoil. It still is. Mm-hmm. And and it was actually lovely to leave that behind. And, uh, and when we came back, re-entering that um, took some readjustment. Yeah? Yeah. I can imagine. Indeed, some readjustment needed. All right. And so what would be little nuggets of your your book? Sure. Um, So the book, Kindergarten at 60, subtitled A Memoir of Teaching in Thailand, um, isn't really a a how-to book on how how to pull up roots in in retirement and, and teach abroad. But our experiences, I think, could be of interest to someone who's thinking about, you know, Maybe maybe it would be fun uh, as an older person to to try going abroad and and not just as a tourist, but to actually work and to try to make a contribution somewhere in the community. Uh, instead, I, I tell little vignettes. I tell little stories about um, about how we realized that you know our our dream destinations weren't going to work out for us we had to find another destination and, and how does that feel when you kind of re- mm. refocus your your uh, concept of what you're doing yeah. uh little stories about the children um i haven't spoken much about them but they are really what kept us going um yeah they kept us going literally we were running around after them all day long <laughs> and you know we both lost lost lots of weight <laughs> uh, uh not doing that but but also spiritually and, and and psychologically um you know kids are kids are charming and kids are fun and kids smile and and even even the ones who who were more of a challenge um yeah. I, I hold dear to my heart so so the book talks about the children and different uh different tells different anecdotes about them and also about our feelings about um, people we left behind. I mentioned my mom earlier and, you know, we didn't, uh, she's hard of hearing, so we didn't have phone conversations right. much. Uh, and hard. we, yeah, but, but you know, reflecting on, on the folks that we weren't seeing on a regular basis. So uh, all of that is in the book. Um, I do also include um, an appendix at the end. Uh, I think the title is something like, Top ten things to do in Thailand. So there's some guidance there for for folks who are visiting and want, want some <laughs> some things that maybe go a little bit beyond the you know the the tour guide, guide uh, yeah. uh, listings, but some things in the region where we were living, which actually had a number of of interesting points of uh, points of interest, and. Yeah. Oh, I didn't talk at all about the language and food issues, uh, but we were trying to learn Thai. And of course, we were eating Thai food and, and that's an education yeah. in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, both of those things are took a lot of getting used to. Uh, yeah. And and, um, and yeah, we have. And, and it was great. Lovely. 
well, we'll link we'll link the book in the comments. So if you're interested, you can go have a look. All right. Well, thanks for all this insight. And we can move on to your recommendations then. Okay. So it's one bar, one restaurant, and a carte blanche. It's part of your choice. Okay. So I'm going to have to disappoint you on the bar point because um, <laughs> I am not a drinker. I, I, it it not can be a cafe. So oh, a cafe. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, then I will. Oh, okay. So there was a cafe that kind of saved us. <laughs> uh, it was called Adam Cafe, A-D-A-M. It was in, so I, we lived in Patumtani, which is a province north of Bangkok. Uh, there was a highway. Our school fronted on a highway, an eight-lane highway. And there was nothing on our side of the highway other than the school and some rice paddies. On the other side of the highway, every evening, there were these um, street food vendors that would set up shop. Mm -hmm. And that's where we went for dinner mostly. So we would have to somehow get our our bodies across eight lanes of traffic. There were no lights. There were no, um, no. You know, breaks in the traffic. So we'd just hang out and wait to cross the highway. And then we'd go to the island between the four, first four lanes and then make another sprint across to the other four lanes and, and have our dinner at one of the street food vendors. And um, near them was a cafe called Adam Cafe and it was air conditioned. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, eating street food, you, you, you're outside. You're and, outside, um, you're sweating. You're... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you've just made this sprint across the highway and you know you have to sprint back afterwards. So on the evenings when the cafe was open, it was a real treat to go in there yeah. and get uh, Thai iced coffee or Thai iced mm. tea. Um, it, it's very strong and very sweet yeah. <laughs> and, and very cold and very delicious. And so that was that would be a, my recommendation for a bar, uh, a coffee shop. Okay. Yeah. All right. And you wanted a restaurant also? Yes. Okay, so um, so the title of my book is Kindergarten at 60. I actually turned 61 in Thailand, and to celebrate my birth, my birthday came on a, on a national holiday, Makabucha Day. So that was a Monday, so we had a three-day weekend. We took that long weekend and went to Bangkok and um, had dinner at this lovely, wonderful restaurant called Pai, or the house at Satorn. It's it's uh, in a nice neighborhood of Bangkok, and it's kind of um, oh, how would I describe it? Classic Thai dishes, but done in a very artful way, presented okay. very artfully, and 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 you know, the each dish comes out as a work of art, and the flavors are are just well, Thai cooking is is full anyway of of combinations of flavors that that really just get your taste buds uh excited and it, this restaurant does that to you know, a gloriously artful degree so that was a real treat and so for anyone in bangkok that has the opportunity to go out to sell for a celebratory meal i would recommend pie p-a-i-i okay so that's that would be my my favorite restaurant in bangkok 
but you can't go wrong with street food in Thailand. You, no, that, it always <laughs> works. It's always good. Yeah. <laughs> always Don't be scared. scared. Just go for it. <laughs> well, can't be scared if you if you're chili phobic. You know, if you if you're sensitive uh, about yeah. hot food, you do have to be careful. The thing you have to know is my pedka, which means not spicy, please. And those words can get are, yeah. are important to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. And what about your expat song then? My expat song. So um, so teaching in kindergarten, we are surrounded by songs all day long. <laughs> um, and every morning, so this is a little Thai, Thai thing. Uh, not, I wouldn't even say traditional. Tradition is kind of a requirement. At eight in the morning and at six, I think six in the evening, there's an assembly and everybody stands for the national anthem. And at the Hi. eight in the morning when the, the flag goes up and at our school, uh, we had a flag raising ceremony every day. We'd raise the, the Thai flag and we'd sing the Thai national anthem. That's not okay. going to be my, my expat song. I, <laughs> I never got the words straight, but it is a nice melody and it'll be in my head forever. After the anthem played, we sang other songs kindergarten songs, including things yeah. like Baby Shark and Let's Do the Pinocchio <laughs> and, and other things. But we always ended with the best song, which is um, a meditation song. And, and I believe this is sung at other schools as well, because I met other kids who knew it. Um, and if you want, I can sing you a few bars. I'd love to hear you. Okay. Well, I don't have much of a voice, but I'll just begin. So it goes, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out as flowers bloom. And so there's, it continues along and, mm-hmm. and it encourages the children to breathe in, to breathe out. They close their eyes, they cover their faces with their hands. Wow. It is an exquisite moment when you see these little children um, sitting often in lotus pose in beautiful, beautiful seated postures, meditating. And actually we used that song sometimes later in the day when we just needed to, to yeah. get the energy <laughs> level down a little bit. So that's my expat song, the meditation song, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. Okay, well, lovely. So we'll definitely link all of those in the comments, the cafe, restaurant, and the meditation song then. Yeah, I, I should say in, in the book, uh, I've changed the name of most of the, most everything, the, the children's names and yeah. uh, other people and businesses in case of any, any uh, concerns. So it's actually all called right. Cafe Noah in the book, but another, another biblical character. Anyhow, yeah, Colleen, this was lovely. Thank you so much for, for your interest. And, uh, and yeah, good to speak with you across the ocean. It was lovely to hear your story. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing. And guys, as usual, everything is linked in the comments. And if you enjoyed the episode, please put a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And as usual, you can find all the upcoming information on Instagram. Plus, also, if you want to contribute, there's an open TP and I'll link it in the comments. 